And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundromat. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Benger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to the Red Skelton Show from 1948. Then it's a strange and terrifying tale of the Hall of Fantasy, starring Richard Thorne from 1947. He was a real thorn in my side, that guy, you know, Richard Thorne? I don't get it. And by my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. I hope I'm not, not a thorn no, in your side. No, you're not a thorn in my side. I'm just prickly. You're right. Not a thorn. You're, you're a nail. <laughs> so... Uh, how are you? Hey, what's up, Lisa? Uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about Hollywood here before we get into the radio shows. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lopez. Right. I you know. know her. I know of her. Yeah. Not too well, but you know her. I don't. I never met her. No. Right. I would like but to meet her. But you liked her. her. I, is she single? I think. Um, she is. I think. I think yeah. she's single. You can go to Las Vegas. Her show is running. I. Uh, you know, you if she invites out. me, I'll I'll sit center stage there and and ogle her. Or maybe in the back corner. Same thing. Yeah. So Jennifer Lopez. I can Lopez, ogle from the back corner just as well as the front right. stage. Yeah. And Lynn Manuel Miranda. Do you know who that is? Lynn Manuel Miranda. Well, That's a he, lot of names. It is a lot of it's names. It's a guy or a girl. It's a guy. Okay. Um, he created Hamilton, the biggest oh, show on yeah, Broadway right yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, I know he, who he is. Yeah. Okay, you know him not yeah. as well as you know Jennifer Lopez. Right. And he started in and for, he's, I won't oogle him, but I will played, oogle her. He played, of course, Alexander Hamilton in the Broadway version, but he just ended that role. Right. And fresh off of that, he's teamed up with Jennifer Lopez, and they have a new single. That ah, has just come out. It's called really? Love Make the World Go Round. Love Make the World Go Round. That's correct. Okay. And it celebrates love in the face of hate. It's a tribute to honor the Orlando victims. Oh, wow. So they performed this duet this week on the Today Show, which, of course, I watched. Uh, the uh-huh. song was just released last week. And they also performed this tribute on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, which, of course, I had to watch. Um, and what happens is Jennifer Lopez starts out the song... Um, looks like a Jennifer Lopez song, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of performs the songs. It's called a rap break. Mm. Because it's called a what? Rap. You know, rap. R- yeah. You're getting old. Rap. Like a rap? Like a like rap a, when you wrap When you wrap a sandwich or exactly, something? Exactly. It's the oh. same thing. You wrap your groceries when you go to the store? Yes, That type rap. of thing? Yeah, okay. he wraps the break right. in, in Saran. Okay. Um, so this... He broke his arm and he wrapped it in Saran wrap? Exactly. Oh. So she starts off the song. He comes in in the center doing a little rap. Okay. And then she comes back and they, they, they kind of finish off the song together. Um, what happens is all of the sales, every penny benefits survivors of the tragedy, their families, That's nice. obviously. So it's, it's, nice. it's really quite nice. So yeah. I wanted to uh, let you in on that. And if right. you hear it on the radio or you feel like downloading it, love make the world go round. Love make the world go round. And Jennifer, if you're listening and you want to fly me out to Vegas to see your show, 
I'll be happy to uh, oblige. Well, you tell her that your love will make her world go That's round. right. I sure will. Okay. Well, thanks, Lisa. Sure. Appreciate that. All right. It's time now for the conclusion to the Red Skelton Show. We started this last time. Junior's camping trip. Junior the Mean Widow Kid is the main sketch. And let's go back to September 10th, 1948 for the conclusion now to the Red Skelton Show. Now a page from our mean little kid's diary. Have you ever bundled up the family and gone on a camping trip? One of them places where it's nice, peaceful, and quiet-like? Yes, sir, there's nothing like it. Unless, of course, you by chance camp around where Junior, the mean little kid, is. Lorene, uh, where's Junior? I don't know. Junior! Junior, where are you? Oh, he's up there, though, sitting on the edge of the cliff, dangling my feet. <laughs> Come here, that's a 16,000-foot drop. Well, wipe the smile off your face, kiddo. I ain't going to fall. <laughs> Yeah? Come here to me. What you want, Junior? Don't you ever do a thing like that again. Why? Why, you could have fallen into that camp in the valley and hurt someone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what we come up here for anyway, huh? I got a nice little quiver at home and everything. You bring me up in the Junior. mountain. Junior. You mean you don't enjoy the idea of coming home? No, Why, I don't. child. Someday you'll realize that to get away from the noise of this city and just relax and enjoy the sound of the earth is a rare privilege. Really? Hey, now, more did the Indians used to live up here in the woods? Oh, yes, dear. Really? Oh, those must have been the days. You should know. <laughs> They had no high prices then. Why, if the Indians wanted food, all they had to do was to go out and shoot it. Shoot it? Yes. Ooh, the woods are full of good things to eat. No kidding. Well, hand me a bow and arrow. I'm going to shoot myself an ice cream cone. <laughs> Stay right here. Dinner will soon be ready. Oh, what you going to burn tonight, Mom? Oh, Lord, don't insult my cooking. Ah. And, Junior, stop scratching. I have to scratch. Why? I'm the only one who knows where it is. <laughs> Tell me what we're going to eat tonight. You're going to eat the fish I caught. The fish you caught? Yes. You mean Grandpa? We're going to eat Grandpa? No. <laughs> a trout. Well, he's a, he's a racetrack trout. <laughs> Mother, I wonder who that man is walking this way. Where? Look at him. Oh, he's probably one of the other campers. Just now, 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 remember, we're only here for the night and no extra supplies no either. Supplies either. Hmm. This guy looks like a chiseler. Yeah. Howdy, folks. Howdy, chiseler. Junior! <laughs> Junior, you apologize. Why, because I said it before you did? Lady, is this your little boy? I am, uh, but I doubt if they'll admit it without a third degree, kid. <laughs> Well, I hate to bother you, but my coffee pot is missing. Well, go out and wouldn't shoot yourself one. You wouldn't for you. We're only here for one night, and yeah. I'm sorry, but we only have one coffee pot. And I'm keeping me fishing worms in that. I hate to contradict you, lady, but you have two coffee pots. Now, look, Mr. Uh... Uh, Brown, Jim Brown. I have that lookout tower up there. Now, what were you saying about us having two coffee pots? Well, I'm very sorry to mention well, it, but... Don't, uh... don't. Well, I, I had to take a ride down the trail to check on some careless folks who if left you know the campfire burning. you know good for me, you'll keep your mouth shut, will you? And then, uh, when I looked through my binoculars, I... Your what?
Grandma, what's a binicular? What's a binicular, huh? Sounds like a fish. Anyhow, when I looked through my binoculars, oh, I, I saw this... I saw this little boy coming down the ladder out of the lookout tower with my coffee pot. Well, I can't oh. believe Junior would do such a thing. He's such a sweet, well-mannered youngster. Oh, you dreamer, you. <laughs> well, how about it, son? Well, how do you know it was me coming down the ladder? How, don't, how do you know it wasn't some well-dressed bear or something? I'm sure it was. The boy had on a white T-shirt with a skull and crossbones on it. What else he had on? He was also wearing blue jeans. Well, is I wearing anything like that? Good. Junior, hmm? put your clothes back on. <laughs> now, look, young man, did you take this man's coffee pot? Answer me. I don't go around answering strange questions, kiddo. Oh, now let me talk to him. Oh. A junior, dear. The muffety guff's coming now. Listen. <laughs> yes, Namor, dear. Now tell Nama and tell Nama the truth, dear. Yes. Did you take the coffee pot or not? You want me to tell you so? You can tell them. I'm wise to you, blabbermouth. <laughs> Don't you hit me. You hit me and I'll tell on you. You'll tell what? I'll tell everybody you used to be a bartender. <laughs> I have us no such thing. Oh, no. Hey, Verna, two beers. Bottle or draft? <laughs> well, look, Sonny, I have to get back up to the lookout tower. Yes. So, man to man, where is my coffee pot? Man to man, it's behind that tree over there. Well, as man to mother, Junior, come here. Right. Now, what you did was dishonest. Now, you must be punished. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You hit me, you hit me, you hit me. You broke my widow. You broke my widow. Broke the widow what? I don't know. It hadn't started hurting yet. Well, folks, I've got to get going. Good. Be sure to put your campfire out. Yep. And remember this. Two minutes of being careful can save 50 years of trees. We'll, we'll be, be careful. We'll Thank be you. careful. We'll be and, careful. And, uh, hmm? Junior... Yes. You don't play with matches, do you? No, sir, boy. I got me fingers burned once. I don't play with them now. I got a cigarette lighter. <laughs> Junior! <laughs> oh, dear. Times I'm sorry I took him out of the baby carriage before I gave it away. <laughs> Can I go play? Yes, run along. Now, Junior, don't make any noise. No. You might disturb the other campers. Yes. And don't throw stones. No, throw stones. You might hit someone. Yeah, and don't breathe. Somebody else may want the oxygen. <laughs> Hey, kid, look out. No. Why don't you watch where you're going? Now you tripped over that rope and knocked my tent down. Yeah? Is that all you've got to do, go around wrecking tents? No, you ought to see me with a house. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, hey, what are you doing there? What, what is that thing? What are I'm you putting up my pup tent. What's the matter? You in a dog house? <laughs> look, kid, hmm? run along. Yeah? Go see how far you can lean over that cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Here, pretty hop, here, pretty hop. Oh, it's... Whoa! What's that? It's a black one. Here, now, don't you cross my path or you'll have bad luck. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You can cross me back. You're not all black. He's got a white streak down his back. <laughs> come here, come here, come here. I got a kitty cat at home, too. <laughs> <laughs> around here is dead. <laughs> Your cat, it can't be him because he's walking around. <laughs> Boy, that cat must have an awful bad cold. He walk around like there's nothing happening at all. <laughs> here, now, now I got you. <laughs> I believe it's the cat. <laughs> Boy, how'd you get so dirty? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Your mother must have pampered you because you really spoiled. <laughs> I want to show you what the 
there more than mummies. They, they love each other. Oh, look, there's that lookout man. I'll go see if you belong to him. I've already learned one lesson about taking things that don't belong to me. <laughs> hey, mister, mister lookout man, aren't you, oh, ain't you up in your tower? Well, I just can't quite get up the pip to climb up those steps. Oh, hey, is this little kitty cat yours? Great! Stop! <laughs> well, you got up that 500 feet off of quick. I wonder why he don't like kitty cats. Of course, I don't blame him. This, this cat ain't exactly the type that makes friends easily, you know. Uh, oh, the man has his tin up. Come on, I'll introduce you to him, kitty. Come on, here. Hiya. Well, I see you finally got your pup tent up. Yeah. Yeah, well, don't you let your pup tent chase my cat. Look, I found a tomcat. Look. Get him away from here. Where are you going? You're taking it down for, mister. Where are you going, mister? You want to say goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> I better find a... Hey, any of you campers here lose a cat? Hey, where are you going for? Hey, mister, lady, where are you going? Goodbye. Goodbye, mister. Where are you going? Go away. Look, look, everyone is breaking camp. Maybe somebody got wind of something. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But still, I can't understand why they're all leaving. We got an idea, ain't we, folks? <laughs> come on, come on, kitty cat, come on. I was going to give you a bottle of milk, but I think I'll change it to a bottle of Airwick now. <laughs> Look what I got. Look, what is look, it, Junior? Look. Bring it closer, dear. I, I can't see without my glasses. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Mother, come and get the car. Don't you want to see what Junior brought us? Yes. It might be something nice. Well, it's nothing to be sniffed at, I'll tell you. <laughs> Mother, don't let him get near you. Oh, I'd better put my glasses on. Good heavens, a polecat! Junior, drop that animal! Hey, wife, he's just the thing for around the house. Take him home. I bet the mice mice would come out and surrender the minute he walked (laughs) away. He'd even kill moss, this baby, you know? (laughs) What's the matter? I'll see you later, cat. My folks are trying to get away from me. In fact, I'd like to get away from myself right now. Get away from me. Let me in. Let me in the car. Let me in. We will, just as soon as you go take off all your clothes and go bathe in that little stream over there. Okay, my dear, don't go away without me. We won't. Okay. Boy. Close up with fastness. Woo, that water's cold. I sure got myself into trouble now. Well, that just goes to show you if you associate in the wrong company, you can become a stinker, too. Thanks for being with us tonight. We hope you liked our program well enough to be with us next week. So until next Friday, this is Red Skelton saying thanks for listening and thanks for buying more and more of that wash day miracle, Tide. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's the Red Skelton Show from September 10th, 1948, starring Red Skelton and all his gang, sponsored by Tide, as heard on NBC. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's the Hall of Fantasy. Don't miss that. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. We're on about 180 radio stations across the country, something like that. Lisa, I've kind of lost count by now. We have a podcast for this show. It's available at our website. You know, this is a four-hour-per-week show. A lot of our stations do not carry all four hours, and sometimes they air it late or whatever the case may be. You may be traveling. 
we put this show on our website for you all four hours plus a bonus hour. We give our listeners an, an additional hour of classic radio at our website. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. That's Hollywood360radio.com. You can hear a podcast of the show, plus check out the store and our schedule and millions of pictures of Lisa. How these pictures just organically just grow and evolve every single day, I'll never know. How does that happen, Lisa? Well, interestingly, I don't post on the Hollywood 360 radio website. So, so someone's doing somebody it. Somebody else yes, is doing part that. Part of your admirer group. Right. Yeah, there's an admirer group. It's quite large. It's growing, it's too. Growing. It's also growing. All right, so uh, that's all you have to do. Go to Hollywood360radio.com. Check out our podcast. We have specials on our CD collections. We have a store there, all kinds of fun stuff. Okay, it's time now for a good mystery on the Hall of Fantasy. Now, there were several series under the title Hall of Fantasy, and all of them were produced by the same guy, Richard Thorne. The first originated from radio station KALL in Salt Lake City, Utah. Richard Thorne and Carl Grayson, a fellow Carl, were announcers for the station and co-produced the rather bare-bones horror series beginning in 1946. Written or adapted by Robert Olson and directed by Thorne, the stories were mostly murder mysteries and uh, these all had kind of traditional endings. In 1947, the first series ended when Thorne and Grayson went their separate ways. The Hall of Fantasy was revived in 1949 when, by pure coincidence, Thorne and Grayson found themselves working together at WGN Radio in Chicago. In 1952, the Hall of Fantasy went nationwide over the mutual network with Thorne writing original stories and adapting classics of literature, including the Telltale Heart. All right, it's time now for the Hall of Fantasy. Let's go back to April 27, 1947 from Markheim by Robert Louis Stevenson and starring Richard Thorne. Here's part one of the Hall of Fantasy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Granite Furniture Company with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo presents... The Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall ascend to the world of the unknown and forbidden. Down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of Markheim. The Granite Furniture Company brings you the Hall of Fantasy. Listen now to original tales of the imagination and some of the classics of the supernatural as we take you down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy to the mysterious realms of the unknown. These are stories of eerie and fantastic thrills brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Stores. And now for tonight's story, an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's Markheim. They said that Markheim's first great crime was that he had committed murder. That's hardly true, for no man can kill his fellow until he first twists the knife in his own heart. This is the story of Markheim. He was a gambler accustomed to lightning shifts of fortune, but on the eve of his greatest triumph, he couldn't resist that final spin of the wheel. It was his life against the future, 
He wanted the decision to come swiftly, as it had always done before. But this time, the wheel turned tortuously slow for Markheim, and once set into motion, no power on earth could halt it. It was Christmas Eve. Markheim was happy to be towed along on Angela's little leash. She loved him, or what she knew of him. Angela was quite aware of the power of her smile, and Markheim was aware of the fact that she'd been leisurely and charmingly spoiled. But even if it had been a great chain that had led him into this lovely garden, instead of a warm, sweet smile, he'd have resisted no more than he did now. For this leash would lead him to a fortune. More money than he'd ever dreamed existed in all the casinos in the world. Besides, he was in love with Angela. Mark, when do you plan to speak to Papa? Very soon, dearest. There are a few things I want to clear up first. It won't take long. Just a few days at the most. Tomorrow, perhaps? Tomorrow? Well, that's pretty short notice, darling. I'm afraid that I... Oh, I want it tomorrow. Yes, but why? What's so significant about tomorrow? I had thought to wait just a few more... Oh, tomorrow's just as good as any other day. In fact, it's better. It's Christmas. It's tomorrow or never. Angela, what are you saying? Oh, don't look so frightened, darling. I was only joking. Ah, that's better. Only it will be tomorrow, Mark, won't it? You always get your own way. Always, darling. But I wouldn't have insisted if I didn't think it would make us both happy. And you think we'll be happier if I ask your father tomorrow? Of course. There's no need to wait, and, and I want this for a Christmas present. Christmas present? Yes. Oh, and speaking of Christmas presents, I have a very nice one for you. Oh, not too nice, I hope. I, I mean, I hope it wasn't too... Costly? Oh, but it was very. I wish you hadn't, Angela. That is, well, I have something for you, too. You have? Uh, what is it? Well, I... Well, you like it. It's... it's. Yes, it's very nice. I... Now it's my turn. You shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Nothing is too good for you. Nothing. I hope it isn't too expensive. expensive? <laughs> well, it was... But uh, it's just a little trinket. I, I. Whatever it is, Mark, it'll be very nice. But if you weren't such a successful member of the stock exchange, I'd scold you for spending too much money on me. Stock exchange? Oh, oh, oh yes, quite. Well, Angela, I think I'd better be going. Oh, so soon? Yes, I, I really must. Then I won't detain you. But I want you here early tomorrow. Come just as soon as you possibly can. <laughs> the iron rule of Angela... Ah, but I love it, darling. Until tomorrow? Tomorrow. As Markheim made his way through the dark streets, the chill, damp fog soon dispersed the warmth he'd felt in the rich comfort of Angela. And the last word he'd spoken to her as he'd taken his leave seemed to mock him as he traveled in the night. His futile gropings for happiness seemed to slap him full in the face with each new wave of the night gray night mist. For a moment, he thought to return to his foul, dingy little room, barren and ugly though it was. The thought of it made him shudder. Any other time, he might have found some comfort in his hateful little iron bed. Another night, he could have slept and dreamed of fabulous fortune, of an endless flood of gambler's luck, making him richer with every spin of the wheel. But there was no time for that now. For tomorrow was... He cursed the inconvenience of this moment. Tomorrow was... Christmas. Suddenly, as if some henchman of the devil had whispered into his ear, Markheim heard the name that had been synonymous with resentment in his heart. That name seemed to strike faint but unmistakable sounds in his brain. It was very faint at first, like the soft, tinkling snap of an icicle when it breaks. 
But it soon became a giant thing that loomed up so forcibly it was almost physical. It came without warning out of the thick fog of his brain. And Markheim suddenly found the name on his lips. Zeigler. 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 That's the first portion of the Hall of Fantasy. We'll have the conclusion after these words. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to the Hall of Fantasy. What do you want? Ah, it's you, Markheim. Let me in, Zeigler. On Christmas Eve? Can't you see I'm closed? Open up. I've got to see you right away. All right. What kind of trouble are you in this time? Well, come on in. I don't want all that cold and damp creeping in. I've enough aches already. Yes. Merry Christmas. What's your end? You do a pretty good business here, don't you, Zeigler? You didn't come to talk about my books. What did you come for? I told you the last time that I wouldn't take any more of your stolen goods. I didn't come to sell anything, Zagler. My uncle's cabinets are disgustingly empty these days. Uh, he's moved his collection. I don't wonder at that. Your uncle is a remarkable collector. His items were rare indeed. It must have been quite a blow to him when he discovered that they were disappearing so methodically. <laughs> it was more of a blow to me, I assure you. He booted me clean out of the place. I was taking an awful chance myself handing that stuff. An awful chance. Mm, but at an awful profit, Zagler. What good's a profit when you once get the yard after you? Well, if you didn't come here to sell, what did you come for? To buy. I want to buy a Christmas present for a lady. Mm, you pay dearly coming in on me like this. You know I've put up my shutters and I'm refusing business. You won't refuse my business, Zagler. You won't be getting any bargains either. You'll have to pay for both my time and your rather a surly manner, young fellow. I suppose you can pay him? Don't worry about that. Then you can pay it someone's worry. I've done very well in the stock exchange. And likely as not, I'll do much better soon. My errand today is very simple. I'm really quite sorry, Zeigler, that I have to disturb you this way, but it's a little matter I overlooked until this late hour. I must have this little compliment ready before morning. And, you know, a man would be a fool to deliberately harm his chances of a wealthy marriage. Well, let that be it then. You've been a good customer, and if you have a chance, as you tell me for a fortunate marriage, I don't want to be an obstacle. Now, uh, here's a nice object. You'd let you certain to favor it. It's a hand mirror. Guaranteed 15th century. It's from a fine collection. Whose collection, Zagler? In the interest of my customer, I withhold the name, if you don't mind. He was, shall we say, somewhat like yourself. The nephew 
of a remarkable collector. The pointed remarks of this unscrupulous old dealer suddenly flushed Markheim's calm with waves of passionate resentment. But they passed, leaving nothing but a slightly emotional residue in a slight nervous trembling in his hands. He took the mirror Zeigler held out to him. Surely you do not propose this for a Christmas present. Why not? Your lady should be very happy to have such a fine item. And every time she looks at herself in it, she'll think of her sterling husband. Your manner is likely to cost you something before long, Zagler. So you suggest a thing like this. Look at it. Look at yourself in it. Though I dare say you'd look little better any other way. But look at it. Your future lady must be difficult to please, sir. I am buying a lady's Christmas present, not some monstrous souvenir of the sins and follies of the past. Certainly not that grim thing. You weren't actually serious about pawning that off on me, were you? Quite serious, sir. What are you made of, Zeigler? What keeps your dry old heart at work these overtime years? You certainly must have a few thoughts now and then of something beside your miserable little existence. Are you joking with me, Markheim? You'll find it on the sale price if you are. <laughs> Everything about you can be found on the sale price, Zagler. Come, what's the purpose of this talk? Christmas Eve, man. See how the world scurries by outside? They're all touched with a very warm, friendly spirit. What does your life consist of tonight but a hand for grabbing money and a safe for hoarding it? Is that all? You've drunk too much to the health of your lady, I think. Ah, then you have been in love. Tell me of those golden moments of yours, Zeigler. Tell me all about them. I have no time for such things. I have no time for this foolishness either. Do you take the glass or not? Yeah, but let's not be hasty. A pleasant talk, a pleasant walk. Uh, how does that go? Well, pleasant it is, Zeigler, and I must not hurry away from any pleasure, even one as doubtful as this. Each instant is a precipice, Zeigler, a very high precipice. If we hurry, we fall and dash ourselves to a thousand meaningless pieces. Yes, if we hurry, we fall, Zeigler. Let's take our time this fine evening. Let us tear away the masks that hide us from each other. Who knows? We might even be friends. I have my books to balance tonight, Markheim. Either make your purchase or I have to thank you to leave the shop. To be sure, there is no time for being friends, is there? Show me something else, then. Show me something else, Zeigler. There was something in Markheim's voice just then. It couldn't have been the words themselves. It was a tone or a light that flashed in his eye. But it filled the little dealer with an unexplainable terror. He'd turned and was about to climb the small ladder that would take him to a little object art on a higher shelf. When suddenly, Markheim poised a little dagger high in the air. It flashed only a fraction of a lightning bolt. This... <laughs> For you, Zeigler, and a very merry Christmas. Zeigler thrashed at the shelves like a chicken. Then he fell to the floor, and flesh seemed to telescope into flesh as he settled into a senseless little pile. Markheim stared at it through eyes that had suddenly seen too much. A single tick of the old clock seemed almost to buffet him into unconsciousness. His lips parted to speak. Must not hurry. Each instant... The precipice. Yes. Zeigler! Stand up! Stand up and speak to me! You are listening to a radio adaptation by Bob Olson of Markheim by Robert Louis Stevenson. 
on tonight's journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Brought to you by your friends at the Granite Furniture Company with stores in Sugar House, Murray, and Provo. And now back to tonight's story of Markheim. Markheim the gambler wagered his life and became Markheim the murderer. In one swift blow, he'd cut himself away from any part of the world he'd known. That's why no one can tell his story now but Markheim himself. I stood there, my hand still clinging loosely to the dagger. That hand that seemed to have no relationship to the rest of my body. I looked about me. The candle on the counter caught a chill draft and was wagging like the tail of an excited puppy. I steadied myself, for the room was heaving and tossing like a schooner in a storm. Hundreds of feet away, it seemed, the door was slightly ajar. Through this opening, a long, slim finger of light pointed accusingly at the very spot I stood. I leaped aside. A shiver of fright shocked through me as I realized the stupidity of the motion. I looked at the body of Zeigler. It lay there like a listless sack of sawdust. As suddenly as had the fright, a wave of calm came over me. I looked again at the body. It was nothing. Yes, there was nothing there to be afraid of. A hunk of lifeless something that had once been a man. The clock ticked on, but no longer affected the day of this thing on the floor. Yes, it was nothing. It had suddenly lost meaning to Zeigler, to the shop, to everyone but me. But that security didn't last. I looked again, saw the deep color forming about this haggard heap. That blood. It was still alive. What if it found a voice? What if this flesh should raise a cry that could be heard all over England and thence... Where? Then it would take up its endless flight around the earth. It would never be still again. Never. Time. Time. I must have time. Oh, but time had such a raucous voice. Yes, what is time? A new precipice each instant. Each tick of the clock was a new danger. I picked up the candle, started about the room, filling my pockets with the treasures of art that Zeigler had gained so craftily and guarded so fiendishly. I saw things that terrified me, things that turned out to be my own shadow. I'd catch a reflection of myself in a rack of mirrors, rich imported glasses that sent a new fear to wilt my nerves. For each time I looked, I saw a hostile sea of my own eyes spying on me. A thousand questions flashed across my world of hysteria. Why had I used a knife? Why hadn't I chosen a more quiet hour? Why had I killed him at all? And then there were more. Where was the servant girl now? When would she be back? How much time did I have? Yes, how much time? When would the world know of what I had done? When would Angela know? Oh, you fool. My brain became a racetrack for nightmares. There seemed to be something terrifying about the normal as ever rhythm of the footsteps out on the street. They must know about the thundering riot in this house. How could they help it? I began to fear nature herself. I expected her to break her own laws to accomplish my own personal destruction. Yes, what if the wall should suddenly fail to hide me? If the prying eyes of London should gain the power to see beyond nature's barriers? Then, then another vision came to me in this room that was pulsating so with clamor and silence alike. Yes, yes, 
all the old women of London started to rock feverishly in their chairs and began to weave a rope with which I was soon to be hung. I knew I was tottering on the brink of the final shock that would send me screaming my guilt to the world if I didn't take hold of myself. But one thing I was rapturously grateful for, I was alone. I was alone. <laughs> no. Zeigler, open up. Answer your door, Zeigler. <sighs> Thank heavens. He's gone. Time. Time. Yes, I, I must have time. Others will come. The girl. I must get the money. No time to waste. I walked over to the body, shoved it with my foot. It rolled over crazily and took on a queer, twisted posture. The face was pale like wax. I remembered the wax museum I'd seen as a lad. And that memory robbed the scene of its grotesque quality. I took new courage. I saw myself as a boy. <laughs> Yes, how horrified I'd been at those realistic reproductions of famous murders. Even the music came back to me, the monotonous chant of the calliope. The time came for me to act or run, but I didn't run. I grabbed the keys from Zeigler's coat pocket and started up the stairs that led to his private apartment. There were 24 steps and twenty-four separate tortures that led to the drawing room where I knew I'd find the safe. As I walked, I seemed to hear the echo of another footstep coming from behind me. Now I was at the top. I pulled open the door, entered, and bolted it behind me. The sense that I was not alone in this house was about to drive me mad. I longed to be in my shoddy little room, away from the eyes that were constantly dancing about in this house... Every man who walked became an avenger and sought stealthily for some scrap of evidence that would curse me forever. I thought of Angela, not long, just the length of a breath or so, but I heard her voice in hollow mockery. Tomorrow or never, Ma. Tomorrow or never. Yes. She said she was only joking. She thought she was only joking. I was before the safe. The finale of this little drama. I fumbled with the keys. There must have been fifty in all. And again, the rush of time began to make me tremble with uncontrollable anxiety. Time, time, time. If I ran out of time, this nightmare could have no meaning at all. I shot a glance at the door. Nothing stirred. Yes, I was satisfied that I must be alone. It was quiet here. Even my heart began to slow down a little. Suddenly, another sound broke the stillness. It came from the nearby church. The organ was playing a familiar hymn... I listened. Then I heard it. A sound to freeze a scream in its making. The knob on the door was turning. Someone was going to enter this room. I was caught in a vice of terror. Slowly the door opened. And there... There was a face without a body staring at me. I stared. I could do nothing else. The face seemed to swim before me. It seemed a familiar face. No, no, it wasn't familiar either. 
Oh, what was that face? It belonged to neither heaven nor earth. What do you want of me? I came to see you. See me? How did you know that I was here? You told me. I told you? Not directly, perhaps. Then you really do know me? Right down to the soul. Are you the devil? Does it matter? Oh, yes, but... But you knew me some time ago. Yes, thank heaven you don't know about the... Murder. Oh, but I do. I came to warn you that the servant girl has left her sweetheart early tonight and is on her way home now. Now? Yes. Shall I tell you what she brings with her for your Christmas? What? The gallows. Now you must hurry. Shall I tell you where to mine the money? For, for what price? It's a Christmas gift. What, what are you going to do with me? You know that I'm really not evil. I had no heart for these things. Yours will probably be a deathbed repentance. I have no concern with that. I'm interested in you only as long as you are alive. But, but why do you do this at all? Can't you see that my hands are red? Don't you realize that I've murdered the little dealer? Yes. Then why do you stop with me? Because your name is Markheim. Yes, yes, yes. My name is Markheim. You know that I'm made up of evil and of good. You'll see that they don't destroy the good to avenge the evil. You will help me, won't you? This money you're about to take, how will you use it? On the stock exchange. That's where you've already lost thousands. Yes, but this time I have a sure thing. You will lose again, Markheim. You know? I do. But, but I'll save out half. You will lose that, too. Oh, if that happens, if I do lose again, what next? Yes, yes, I'll start over with Angela. You have lived for 36 years, Markheim. Fifteen years ago, you would have shuddered at the thought of stealing. Three years ago, the name of murder would have made you ill. Who knows, Markheim, what you might embrace in the next five years? But I still have good in me. Tell me, have you grown any better at all in the past few years? I can remember when I was a boy. Yes, I still love the things that I loved then. But are you better than you were then? No, 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 no. And you still want me to help you get the money. Remember three years ago, Markheim? Weren't you seen in a little chapel? Yes, yes, I was there. I meant to go back. And didn't you raise your voice louder than the others in the hymn? Yes, but... Where are you going? We part company here. Time has run out. That's the maid, you see. The maid? What shall I do? Why not do what you did to the dealer? Here's your last great danger. One more swift blow, and you can finish at your leisure. Don't. Don't. Don't go. Don't leave me. He, he's gone. My last great danger. Yes. There is nothing left to do, but... I took the little dagger from my coat pocket and crept down the stairs. Twenty-four steps to... Where? Tomorrow or never, Mark. Tomorrow or never. I can do it quickly. I'll tell her old Zeigler is ill. Yes, now, I don't crack a smile, Markheim. Whatever you do, don't overact. But curse the thing that made me lose all this precious time with talk. Yes, too late now, though. Much too late. Too, too late, too late. There's no more time for you, Markheim. You again? Who are you, anyway? The door, Markheim. Here's your chance. Open the door. First, tell me who you are. Don't you know... Don't you know, really? No, no, I don't. My name is Markheim. No! Then you're... The door, Markheim. Answer the door. 
Hello, is Mr. Seigler in? Are you the maid? Uh, yes. Then you'd... You'd better go for the police. I... I've just murdered your master. So runs the tale of... Markheim. Remember to join us next week at a new time for another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. Tonight's program was adapted by Robert Olson from the story by Robert Louis Stevenson. Heard tonight were Carl Grayson as Markheim, Richard Harcourt as a narrator, Beth Calder as Angela, and Richard Thorne as Zeigler. Musical background was provided by Earl Donaldson. The engineer was Nephi Sorensen. These programs are produced and directed by Richard Thorne. Remember, be with us again next Sunday night on call at a new time. Just one hour later at 9.30 p.m. when the Granite Furniture Stores in Sugarhouse, Murray and Provo will take you on another journey down the corridors of the Hall of Fantasy. And that's the Hall of Fantasy from April 27, 1947, with Markheim by Robert Louis Stevenson and starring Richard Thorne. Also in the cast, Carl Grayson, Richard Harcourt, and Ben Calder sustained over CBS. Hope you enjoyed that good mystery on the Hall of Fantasy. want to remind all of our listeners that we have a Facebook page, right, Lisa? That's your territory, so I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, we sure do. Hollywood 360 Radio. We'd love it if you'd like us. We'd love it if you'd post to us. We do post our schedule there each week so you can see what's coming up um, for that week's show. And we'd love to hear from you. Comments and suggestions, we'll take them. Yeah, they're always welcome. And if there's something you want to hear here on Hollywood 360, just let us know that, that too. That was the suggestion part. Yeah, oh, that's part of the suggestion right. things? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to, you know, step on your toes there at all, Miss Wolf. Because you know what? Christmas will be here soon enough, and I want my, my Christmas presents. What do you have in mind? Uh, you know what? Actually, next month's my birthday. I was just going to so bring that up. I'm, so uh, you better be a good boy. You know, like with uh, Donna Karen, she runs small, so I'm like an extra large on Donna Karen. But like Boss, Hugo Boss. You're not or, an extra large yeah, anything. Boss, I'm large. And then... <laughs> and then... Like uh, with Armani, that runs small too, so extra large. I'll keep that in mind. So there you go. Thanks. Those three, so Donna Karen, Hugo Boss. And Armani. And Armani. I'm on it. Any three. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a big Burberry guy. If you like Burberry. Oh, right. You know, if you want to just spend well, a little. I'm going to pull out my sewing machine see what I can do for you. Know, you know, get an extra couple of acting gigs to pay for that gift. A couple it's coming up few. in August. So. Right, no problem. All right, let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the- Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. 
This dearie is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, Lisa Wolf, that's a wrap for this edition of Hollywood 360. Are you sad? I'm kind of sad. Do I look sad? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we're done for the week. But we have more to work on, and we'll be back. We'll be back next week. You know what we have for our listeners next week? No. We have the adventures of Philip Marlowe, good detective adventure with Gerald Moore. Then it's Archie Andrews, good comedy, uh, you know, with Archie and the gang from Riverdale High. And then it's the story of Dr. Kildare with Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Then it's Suspense. Then we tune into Duffy's Tavern, which is my crabby brother Vince's favorite radio show. And then it's The Whistler, another strange and terrifying tale. For my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, engineer Sam Wolf, Vince and Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next time. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking.